Welcome to the More Than Fitness Podcast. Oh man, we are we are good to go. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Apologies on being a little tardy. We've got a uh, uh, a sick kitty we're dealing with, so kind of running oh, around no. the house a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's way that's way more important than this podcast. So I, I hope everything's taken care of. Doing the best we can. But uh, yeah, man, good to meet you. Good. Yeah, yeah. This is a good, nice little uh, formal but informal meeting here with with a few few listeners listening along as well. Um, but yeah, I've got Eric Helms on the podcast today, the man, the myth, the legend. I'm super uh, excited to talk to you and and thank you so much as a as a fan and as an internet mentor or whatever, and just people in the in the fitness field. Uh, yeah, thanks for taking your time to come on and chat with me, man. My pleasure, man. Thanks for the opportunity, and it's an honor to hear that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay. The very first question I want to, I want to, this is typically how I like to start these off sometimes is whenever you meet somebody at, uh, whenever you meet somebody at a bar or something like that, cause you're, you're, you're doing all kinds of shit, man. Like you're doing tons of stuff. And whenever you meet somebody face to face for the first time and you introduce yourself and they say, Oh, what do you do? What is your response? Well, in this situation, I'd say, why am I at a bar? But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't tell my wife, I guess is what I'd say. No. It's all- it's all good. No, I can't remember the last time I've been in a bar, but in all seriousness, I think the um, the way I normally frame it uh, is a little bit dependent on how I interact with them. Like if if they see me at the gym and we're lifting, I normally just kind of speak to that context. Like, yeah, I'm a multi-sport strength athlete, compete in natural bodybuilding, and I really love the science of it too. And then, you know, see how it goes from there. But if someone is really kind of like just meets me on the street, like, what do you do? Um, I normally express that I, I'm a science communicator um, for the, the lifting community and, uh, that I have an educational background and a coaching background and athletic background in strength sport and physique sport. Um, that's kind of how I start it. Um, but I think one thing I always like to preface as well is that I'm really just a dude who loves to lift and it's become my, uh, my, my life passion, my career, uh, my intellectual pursuit, and even the way I find meaning in life. So, yeah, yeah. Which, which is a, a nice little segue. Cause that's, kind of something that I wanted to talk to uh talk talk to you about because has it all have you always had just this intense passion for learning maybe even not even specifically about fitness and things like that but taking it back maybe to like high school college days like were you have you always been interested in this type of stuff absolutely not yeah I think um okay the, the one thing that carries through is that when I do find something I really really like I tend to be super obsessed with it like if we go back to like, man, I'm thinking like I'm, I'm 10 or 12 and we go to, you know, my, my family, uh, family's house for the holidays and we get out some board game. If it's a board game I really like, I would try to get them to play it like 24 seven. And they're like, you know, I have to use the bathroom. We actually do need to go to bed, et cetera, et cetera. Good move. Um, yeah. So I think, um, if I find something that really is exciting and fun for me, really, then it becomes very easy to, to fully dive into it. Um, and nothing in high school really, really, really did that for me, except well, within high school, stuff outside of high school, you know, like role playing games or science fiction books or comics or other geeky shit that I was into. Um, I was all about it. But um, yeah, and then when I got into um, like basically hobbies, kind of the same thing, but I didn't really fall in love with lifting until 2004. Um, and then when I did, it was, it was kind of all in, in the same way. So, um, that was the first time I was really, I saw my own, I guess, talent for academics. And I think a huge part of that is not that I'm 
super smart or anything like that. But it's that it was easy for me to look up and 10 hours had gone by and I was reading stuff about uh, periodization or nutrition strategies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure, sure. And what you said was really interesting and something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. I'm always in the, um, I'm always trying to figure out what because because as with our jobs and, and i guess me more in particular i have you have more freedom to do a bunch of things so that can kind of make it hard to narrow down what should you you focus on and you made an instagram post that was interesting about focusing on your weak areas and 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 things like that how do you prioritize what you're going to focus on next um and how do you how do you decide like what's willing like what you're willing to trade off and what you're what you're not willing to trade off that's a great question. And if I look back, um, there was some big picture level of intentionality for me. So the the goal was to become a originally like a um, a very very well well read like coach in, in the industry to be someone who was able to help people. So to be very very effective at coaching strength and physique sport. Um, and um, so. So for me, that meant uh, I, I saw the importance of an academic pursuit. You know, I'd been a personal trainer and uh, saw the value in, in actually keeping up my CEUs and all that. And I figured, you know, I'd study this as well, as well as getting the practical experience in coaching people. So for me, I saw it as the academics and the information and the knowledge I'm going to pursue should have direct application towards me um, helping someone else or myself, you know, in strength and physique sport. And I think that was my guiding principle for what I'd studied. And that's definitely reflected in my, my studies. Like, for example, my bachelor's is in sports management with a focus in fitness and wellness. And it was a specific program designed for people who were working as personal trainers. That's, you had To get into the program, you had to, to show proof of that kind of thing. Um, and then my master's was in, in the same online program, same deal. You had to be working in the fitness industry and it was focused on exercise science and performance enhancement and injury prevention. So those are my my first forays into academia before I thought, you know what, I want to actually get into a research-based degree and, and get do, do a second master's and a PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, it's insane, by the way. I'm just going to cut you off right there and just say that that's <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's I a mean, lot of stuff. It's a lot of work. Just, you just keep going. I like it. for me, if, if, if I good love advi- it, good advice. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. yeah just go. don't stop, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, but that's, that's, that's the extent of my coaching for endurance sport right there as well. Um, okay. so yeah, like, uh, so, so for me, the, um, anytime that, that post you're referring to on Instagram where, um, I got into reviewing some research that required not only just an applied understanding of nutrition concepts or training concepts, but, me trying to scratch my head and figure out the mechanisms, I, it was became very apparent that, you know, like, for example, my biomechanics um, and then before that, my physics or my biochemistry and before that, my biology and chemistry um, were all, and I, I have not that this is like a, a new revelation, but they're all relatively weak compared to something like my understanding of periodization theory or my understanding of uh, like, like I understand motivational interviewing, but how good is my, my, my root psychology? Like I I'm decent at biomechanics, but how good is my underlying physics? Like I'm decent at, uh, what you might call nutrition science, especially like sports nutrition, but how, how good is my underlying biochemistry, chemistry, biology? Um, and, uh, like most of my classes were exercise physiology, not just physiology, you know? Um, so I think, uh, it made me, I, I, well, for one, it's very humbling when when you're like, well, how does that thing work again that I, I read 10 years ago? And 
and or that I maybe I didn't even fully understand, but I I only got in in almost tangentially to everything else. So I would pretty much only try to understand physiological concepts uh, to the de- or biomechanical concepts or whatever uh, to the degree that was was appropriate for me to understand the the, the mechanism underpinning underpinning some applied concept, um, and that can. In one hand, I'd say that that's good because I, I know a lot more about what to do when it comes to training and nutrition because, uh, you know, there's an opportunity cost. I, d- I didn't have, uh, you know, a second opportunity. Like I didn't do like I can't do two concurrent academic careers. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I it's it was a humbling experience and I realized how uh, how much stronger my applied versus mechanistic knowledge was. Uh, and I've had that experience a number of times. Um but it also was a nice call to action to say, hey, I'm I'm in a position where I'm actually like contributing to the body of knowledge as a researcher and, and someone who's publishing things and writing textbook chapters in sports nutrition and exercise science. But um, it would now be intelligent for me to kind of look and, and shore up some of those weaknesses, you know. Okay. As a, as a follow-up to that, I want to – how do you – how much of that – what you, like you're going to figure out what you're going to study – next week or next semester or like whatever next year, like what, what it, does the thing that guides you, is it more um, like selfishness in your own personal curiosity? And like, this shit is fun. Like I enjoy learning about X, Y, and Z and how much of it is, okay, this is meaningful. Like, this is what I should be doing. It may not be necessarily what I'm most interested in, in the terms of it being fun, but I know I'm really good at this and it's going to benefit a lot of people. Does that make sense? Do you see what yes. I'm saying? Hundred percent. And I think um, uh, that that's a good way of discussing it. But I think in reality, they start to to blend. You know, like there's a intertwine. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's there's a fair amount of uh, indication when you look at like child development and uh, when people start to excel that there's a feed forward mechanism. As soon as you start to get rewarded, um, yet you, you like you you you're more likely to say I like this if you are rewarded doing it. So. I I would say I definitely enjoyed diving in and just being obsessed with the the science early on. But when I started to get recognized on the forums or recognized on Facebook or or asked to be on podcasts or oh shit I got a 4.0 in my my masters or whatever the those things um, not only let me know that I had the self efficacy and, and ability to move forward, but also I started to I like oh I'm good at something. Like that, that feels great, you know? Um, and, um, the success, the success caused the passion as opposed to the passion causing the success. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, I think it's not even necessarily confusing which one's causational, but it's two way street. I think, I think is what it is. So, so for me, knowing that, that allows me to do a little bit of like programming in my own head. So right now I know that it would be beneficial if I had a better understanding of, um, of biochemistry, short up some of those gaps, had a better understanding of biomechanics, short up some of those gaps, had a better understanding of endocrinology um, because it became readily apparent to me like, oh, I, I did a an initially not perfect job of reviewing the study on oral ATP supplementation. Uh, and I needed to get feedback from, from, you know, someone who had a stronger mechanism there or stronger understanding there so that I could get there, which is, you know, that's the whole reason why we have peer review. That's the whole reason why Um, You know, you learn in the first place. You don't just learn from yourself. You have instructors or someone who wrote a book or whatever, you know. So um, 
it made it readily apparent that my mission statement of doing like, you know, helping people being a science communicator, being a coach, um, that sometimes, or at least at this point in my career, to be better at that, there does need to be some investigation of things that may, that at least back in the day, the Eric of 2011, wouldn't have seen how it was directly applicable to my to my mission statement. So for me, the the, the programming part is to is to now that I'm aware of that and to kind kind of keep reminding myself, like, hey, yeah, if you understand what phosphorylation really means, that actually will help you be a better science communicator. And that was a step that I think um, was difficult to convince myself of that early on, and it's easier now so that I can get kind of that two way street thing going. So it is something that. I now can see uh, it's it's more easy for me to to see like this basic knowledge is going to have applications and be helpful. So that allows me to pay attention more to succeed to feed forward. So that it does both of those two options you're talking. Why about. do you think it? Why do you think it was more difficult early on? Could you kind of expand? Yeah, two names: Dunning and Kruger would, would oh, be the. Uh, there the, you uh, go. Yeah, like Got I it. think, I think, um, and and you know, I'm, maybe I'm being too too self critical, but I think. Um, Eric is humble, guys. He's a very humble guy. So he's going to go back and forth in his own head and his own ego multiple times throughout this. Well, I mean, that's how you figure shit out, right? You're at least right. That's, that's how why, I figure shit out. That's why you're yeah. so good at what you do. So yeah, I want to pay your dues there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I think um, I think before, I remember having this specific thought. Like I was, for, for, this, for something in my master's, there was debate as to the exact amount of ATP that was generated through uh, you know, certain pathways. I'm like, oh, is it? It's it should be 36, but it's actually 32. I don't even remember the numbers. Um, <laughs> right, right. That's it. I'm pretty sure it's like 34, 32, 36, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, it's the the actual efficiency and the true yield versus the theoretical yield of the citric acid cycle. You know, and and I remember reading this, going, how is I just couldn't figure out how it would change my practice. You know, um, and that so it was very difficult to focus on it. And I think there are times that's true. But my practice has also changed. I was purely a coach at that point. Um, and now I am a, an educator of coaches, a coach, and purely just someone who is interested in the science. And I'm an academic and I'm a researcher, you know. So even an applied researcher, you need, like, even if you're not looking at mechanisms, like if I just go, we're going to compare program A to program B or nutrition program A to nutrition program B, and one works better than the other, you've got to speculate as to why. You know, if you have a hypothesis going in, you 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 think one is going to go that way. But if it goes the opposite way, then you've got to rack your brain and figure out why that is, you know. Um, so, the you know, just to use the example of the oral ATP supplement, um, if there's a study that shows that it's completely degraded down to its final metabolite before it hits the uh, anything that can measure, like the only thing going up is uric acid, and there's no explanation for why uric acid would improve performance, but in performance went up and three in three different labs in the same type, you know, what does that mean? And if you don't have the the, the biochemistry uh, knowledge, you, you're limited in the ability to speculate. And that could be problematic because then, you know, like, do you recommend the supplement or not? Uh, do you do you think what it could be interacting with? Do you think of the potential negative downside? So it's um, basically I've kind of gone like, you know, there's you, you never stop learning. Do, do, do you feel like you owe that responsibility as I mean, I guess you do take pride as an educator, like you said, as a researcher, as a scientist, you are those things. Do you take it's your own responsibility as those things to do your job the most effectively and effectively communicate those ideas and uh, concepts and simplify them down to the masses. You need to be the person that worries about 
everything that you just said. Cause I know there's so many people that are like, what the fuck did he just say? However, mm. you understanding it is the key point so that you can relay it to the masses. Correct. I, I, I yeah, that, that, that's, that's a pretty good uh, description. And I think there is, you can take that too far, you know, like, um, but yeah, like, like I think you, you, you put in there like in simplifying it and explaining it to the masses. Like if, if I can, uh, if there's stuff that just is like, ah, oh, this is mind boggling to me. Um, many times it may not be relevant to just someone who's lifting and doesn't is not doesn't have an interest in science. So sure. I think that is what probably would stop me going down a rabbit hole. But sometimes I think there there's a number of times now I can think of where um not going down that rabbit hole, even though it didn't directly help me answer the initial question of why I started to go down it and said, no, thanks. Mm -hmm. Um, It tells you something about other potential rabbit holes you didn't even know existed. Hence that kind of Dunning-Kruger factor. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of the the meta question to what you're asking is, you know, what is my responsibility based on kind of the role I've stepped into and the mission statement I've set for myself? And um, what is the, the best way to spend my time? And, 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 uh, and what, how can I provide the most utility? That, that's kind of what, what it comes down to. Um, and I think there is, there is just as much value in going through the lengths to understand that stuff, to give proper information, to also just simply knowing what your limit is and to some degree staying in your lane and being very clear when you don't know uh, and, and expressing that. I think we probably prioritize knowledge too much rather than thinking in the quote unquote evidence-based community. That's something that I've, I've tried to spend more and more of my time, um, you know, teaching people to fish rather than just giving them fish. Because like, for example, I, I, uh, another thing on Instagram that happened is I, I just simply posted my training schedule that I'm doing to compete in, in multi-sport, uh, you know, strength sport. And the first competition I got coming up is weightlifting which requires extreme end range of motion, shoulder flexion in, in deep hip flexion and with full elbow extension um, and proper, uh, you know, uh, upper back spinal extension. And that's very difficult for me to do. So I was going to do some static stretching and all these people who I, I could tell were well, well read and could cite the research really had like a poor understanding of its application. They had looked at stretching, static stretching as either good or bad. Not as it, it does this, it does this, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do this. Here's why it may do that. And here's how it could be useful. And, you know, reading a bunch of research and all you get is stretching is bad. That's a, a really unnuanced view. And it's almost inherently unscientific, even if like you've read the research, but you don't understand that it's probabilistic language, it's context specific. Um, you know, I think so. Anyway, the when I see things like that, it's a reminder to me going, ah, yeah, like we're, we're still humans, even if we're in the evidence-based community. Not everyone is a great rational thinker. That's just not natural. You have to keep, keep like re resharpening that blade uh, as it gets dull. And go, we go back to our kind of fast thinking, you know, uh-huh. pattern recognition kind of survival fast, fast, and, fast and slow thinking. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So anyway, that's, I think it's really important to show fallibility show that you're not static. Like if I, I am, I am learning, like hopefully the Eric Helms of next year will have a better time interpreting something with, with hard biochemistry in it. Um, and we'll be able to explain it better. Um, because if all someone gets from following me is shit, that guy's real smart. You know, I, I've not done a good job, you know, right. Um, that, that only serves to pat me on the back. It doesn't serve to teach someone, uh, that they can, they can learn, you know, if I'm just some un- unassailable guru on high, like I, that, that's something that you have to step away from. Um, and even though it feels good and it's kind of, you know, the natural thing that you even get 
complemented into wanting to do more of like, let me show off how smart I am. Like that's absolutely that's yeah. not the goal. The, the goal is to help people uh, learn to learn and then also take home useful information. So I try to do right. both. Right. Yeah, no. And you, you do a great job, obviously. Um, Thanks, that's, that's really, that's really interesting. And I think it leads into another question I actually had down here um, for just an everyday person, because you have, especially with, with, with Netflix and things like that, you have, so you have the game changers coming out, which is just a entire documentary about promoting veganism and everything. Right. But then you also have two weeks later, you have Joe Rogan on his Instagram speaking high praise about the carnivore diet. And it's like the, for people who don't know the carnivore diet is just an all meat diet and that's it. Um, it's like, how does the everyday person because even as a registered dietitian, I'm sitting here going back. I've got to, you know, I've got to review everything. Um, I've had to talk about the game changers on podcasts and things like that. And it's just like going through everything. There's so much to cover. I know the lay uh, average layperson is like, I'd give up. Like, what? Yeah. How? What advice would you give them? How do they disseminate all the bullshit? Yeah, and that's exactly it. I think um, two things I want to mention. First, we kind of have to understand the culture we're in. Um, we actively say the word influencer as it's a title, it's something that people may or may not see negatively or positively, depending on kind of your look behind the veil of really what that means. Um, and I think there, it's not that this is new, it's just the access, the speed and the reach is so much higher now with the way social media is. Yes. Um, but people are just blatantly, like it's, it's we're, we're calling truth to it by saying it's an influence. Like I am putting out information to change your behavior and your beliefs. That's not inherently bad, but it's really good to know that someone has strong motivation behind what they're showing you. An influencer is trying to influence public opinion. I mean, that's great. Like, like the civil rights movement, it was, it was based on influencers. Uh, but game changers is, 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 is based on people trying to influence others. And the reason why that's important is that education, when it's done properly, is not necessarily influencing someone to have a certain conclusion, but rather to give someone better tools to make conclusions. And that may sound like a subtle distinction, but it's really, really important. And that is really the only way to deal with this because the population is huge and the access of, of people in the population to social media so that everyone can be a media outlet is only going to increase. Um, and when money gets behind it, then you see things like game changers or you see things like the Joe Rogan podcast. Right. Um, and I think the old way of approaching this when there was a lot more limited access and it was kind of like just voices on the internet. Uh, and there was a little more, there, there was a little more of an established expertise, not that experts are perfect, but like in the nineties, you know, if, if, if someone's if, like someone gets on television before media became entertainment primarily, um, or if someone has an established website or if someone has reach, it's almost always like, you know, the American Dietetics Association or something like that. And you'll get it wrong sometimes, but at least in, in those um, halls of expertise, there is a, an embedded peer review scientific method process. So it would, it would self-correct more often. Right. That doesn't exist. And those are no longer the dominant forms of education. So the initial way of dealing with that when there was only the starting to creep of, of this non-expert uh, influencer thing on the internet, like we're talking 2007, you know, like, like 10, 15 years ago, um, the way that, that the evidence-based community would normally deal with this is simply playing whack-a-mole, right? And that is the, 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 the debunk channel. Like your evidence-based person of 10 years ago 
is essentially just telling you, oh, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. Like uh, careers, whole careers based on the only content you produce is saying what's wrong. This isn't correct. This isn't correct. Would maybe a few big picture tidbits like no energy balance is still the thing. No, no. Progressive overload is still the thing. No, no. This, 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 you know, and that works to build a career, but it does. I don't think it does a whole lot. I mean, it basically empowers a bunch of people to know not what to do. Yeah. You know, and then, but you're just a crutch. They have to constantly come back to you. Um, they might get a little bit of like this sideways kind of look behind the magician's, uh, you know, curtains of, oh, how, how, how is this guy or gal figuring out what is bullshit? Um, but you have to be pretty intentional about that. I, I had to do that. I, I was like, how is it that the people I'm following are able to discern this? And I started to, have to teach myself by watching, but there was never an active process. And it was still kind of a very ego driven uh, culture, even in the evidence-based community, it's the anti-guru guru, like, you know, and there's even like social psychology showing that if you say the same exact thing, but you do it by critiquing a, an opposing view or just stating it, you are perceived as more intelligent by critiquing someone else. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it works. You, the anti-guru guru is, is, a, is a known model that seems to, to, to it gets you followers, um, you know, being the, the cynical call out guy with science, that's, that's a thing, you know, you could definitely do that. Um, are you actually, you know, a science communicator, educator, maybe, but not very effective. You know, you're, you're choosing a method, which, which pretty much builds you up and, and just has everyone set up to go, oh, I found new information. Let me go to my, my, my God of, of, of science, you know? So anyway, the, that job is, it, it's still an effective way to become a guru by calling out gurus. If you want to do that, if you want to be the science, the hashtag science guru or, or the call out culture guru um, who uses accurate science, that's fine. And there is some utility in that because there's a lot of bullshit out there. But the way that it's probably going to have a larger impact that actually will educate people is teaching people how to think. And so so anyway, to the long form answer to your question now. It's all good. Is understanding that there's influencers, that's one thing. How do we actually deal with this? So if you are an educator, um, there's nothing wrong with debunking, but I think people need to understand why and you need to be very careful with how you debunk because a lot of the times, like if you approach someone with an intellectual argument uh, when they have an emotional connection to something, that you, they just feel discounted and they're much more likely just to, to turn you off or if you attack someone, you know, if you, if you are uh, using ad hominem attacks in the service of logic, you know, which is inherently uh, illogical and very, very ironic. Um, you're, you may be doing this actually a fair amount of research on this. You may be doing just as much, uh, of, of helping take the people who have these unscientific beliefs, we'll say, we'll say, and, and putting them into a box further. You're becoming proof that the, the experts are actually just condescending jerks who, who want to be right and who, you know, don't, don't, don't care about people, you know, when they've got this sympathetic, but incorrect person they're listening to who they put up on a pedestal and they have their personal experience. So I think, um, knowing when, who, who's willing to listen and then respecting them as humans and their feelings and their needs is, is completely part of communication. So to be a good educator, you have to be a good communicator. To be a good communicator, you have to be able to read people, understand where they're at emotionally, whether they're actually asking for help. You know, unsolicited advice typically is not taken well, you know. Um, so just getting on Instagram, calling someone out, saying people are stupid or that they're the problem and then giving the, 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 the one truth 
Um, I think that largely serves to tell the people who already follow you, you're awesome. And okay, you know, that's basically like just taking a shirtless selfie, you know? Yeah, right. You know, like, oh, cool. You still get abs, you know, yeah. but it's, it's not necessarily the same thing as recognizing a, um, not only an incorrect piece of information. So for example, game changers. Yeah, there, there's some, there's some simply false conclusions that are made based on that. But what is probably much more useful in game changers or the, or the discussions around the carnivore diet is to go, well, well, how do we assess a diet? You know, if we're going to say, Hey, I've got a, an athlete here who's, who's on a vegan diet and they're, they're a medalist or they're a high level competitor. Therefore, the vegan diet's really good. The problem is, okay, what's, what's the issue with that logic? Because I can find an athlete on another diet. So does that, so how do you like, so, so clearly this is not a useful method. So what is a useful method? So I think teaching critical thinking is along with, or it always without just saying that's wrong, you know, is, is really, really useful. Um, so I think anytime someone is, is educating first, they need to understand why does someone believe something? So when someone goes, you know, so, so I'm going to go on the vegan diet. You don't just go the vegan diet's bullshit. Here's why. Right. Um, that's not, that's almost never useful. Cause they'll shut uh, down immediately. Yeah. Or, or, or you're making assumptions. Like I can't tell you like how many times I've told someone about my eating patterns and they go to tell me about how, uh, either the health or the performance effects or the environment, like they give me some factoid and I'm like, you know, I know that. Right. And they go, no, well, of course not. Most people who are vegans do it for X reason. I'm like, well, A, I'm, I'm, I'm not a vegan. You didn't really listen. I said I was a pescatarian and that I'm purposely not trying to eat, you know, factory farm things for purely ethical reasons. Do you want to make an ethical argument? I mean, I didn't really ask to have an ethical debate. Like maybe I could just have my values. Um, right. But, but, but it, I mean, if it happens to me, like you can just tell how emotionally unintelligent a lot of people who are trying to educate others are. And that's a problem. So the first thing you need to do if you want to help someone learn something is to ask them why they believe what they believe, you know? Yeah. Um, and to have that, even if you're posting to a lot of people, like on one-on-one, -on -one, that's easy. But if you're posting to a lot of people, you need to have a certain stance that says that. Like, you know, a lot of people have valid reasons for doing this, and maybe A, B, C, D, or X, and, you know, and here's why, here's what they think, you know? Um, doing things like steel manning an argument instead of straw manning it to, to then take it down more easily. Um, that I mean, so... So anyway, the, the point is, is that if you're going to educate people, you can't just tell them what not to do. You have to tell them what to do and you have to understand why they believe what they believe to give them the information so they can make better decisions. So it's teaching critical thinking that is specific to, to the, the beliefs of the individual or, a, you know, a broad swath of people or what have you. Yeah, I think one of the big benefits of Instagram and things like that, I mean, because obviously critical thinking is scarce on Instagram and just reading a post and, and trying to take away something from it can be difficult, right? You can give, you know, certain conclusions based off just one single post. But I think what's really helpful is that it's almost like if I go to your page, and this is what I was doing today to get quote unquote research, because I what I do is I go to your page, but then I don't necessarily look at exactly what the point is that you're trying to get across, but I look at how you view certain things, how, like what, what is your worldview towards certain things? And so what I think, what I'm saying by that is by people following you and you answering the questions that you're thinking, and then you're, you're elaborating on your thinking process and how you got there. And as an effective communicator, like you are, it makes people themselves 
ask more thoughtful questions and it makes them more reflective and more analytical about certain things that they are uh, trying to figure out. And I think that's what Instagram, if you can use it appropriately, is so helpful. Like Ryan Doris is another example of this, the Natty Pro. Like he's, I love that dude in the way that he thinks things and he'll just say things that I've that I've never been able to articulate into thought um, until I read them from someone smarter than me. You know what I'm saying? Or at least someone who thinks differently, you know, I thinks think that's, differently. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Better, that's yeah, a better I, term. Yeah. Because I think, um, a lot of the times that's exactly what it is. You follow someone and they'll make a connection that was just right there for you, you know? Um, and it just gives you just, it's kind of that, 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 that classic, uh, parable of like the seven or X number of blind men trying to describe an elephant, you know, and one's holding the trunk and he's like, well, it's a snake. You know, and then one person's got the tail and like, no, nah, it's too hairy to be a snake. I think it's, it's got to be some kind of uh, hairy snake. I don't know, or whatever, you know, and, um, and I think like you, you have a piece of the puzzle, but if you get just one little pe- more piece of information or one connection, sometimes that can be all it takes. So yeah, do, doing it in such a way, like you said, to try to get people to think a little bit differently and to provide them with more information I think is, um, it's, it's really what the game is. I think instead of just simply drip feeding information or just taking things down, um, I, I think you have to work with the fact that you're, you're speaking to humans, you know, you're not just entering facts into a database, like I've covered protein, covered this, you know, and I think, um, that, that is at least what I think is, is the best way to help people get equipped to deal with the bombardment of influence that's coming in is for them to be able to assess the influencer, you know? Um, one of the things that I recognized that I developed earlier than I did, than I was able to develop, um, like an understanding of, of how to interpret research was my ability to tell if someone was being, uh, logical in their thoughts, right? So, um, you can present the same information, same factual information in, in a black and white hyperbolic way, or you can present it in a, in a nuanced way that speaks to the, the, the almost always probabilistic nature of science. Right. Um, and you know, so if someone like, like, like if you're watching someone argue with someone else and one of them is, is actually on the side of science and you know, it, watch how they speak. Like if, if they misrepresent the other person. Um, you know, attack them personally and are doing like, you know, s- straw man them instead of steel man them, which is, you know, taking the, the, the easiest partial interpretation of what they're saying that sounds the stupidest so you can sound right versus trying to take the most charitable position, assume the best of them, assume the most intelligent thing, feedback to them. If they're, you know, if you're asking them questions versus just telling them they're wrong or making assumptions of what they mean. Uh, and then, you know, basically doing like a, a smear campaign in the middle of talking to them, or you're trying to um, get to the truth. And then when you're talking about scientific data, you're talking about it in a probabilistic nature versus like, yes or no, black or white, this is the way it is. Because we never actually, you know, we, we, we the best we can do with, with most of our methods of science is, is disproving things and having a certain level of confidence around something being true and different levels of evidence. So, with that underpinning of philosophy behind quantitative research, which is primarily what we're dealing with in kind of the, the fitness community, if someone doesn't have that, 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 that philosophy doesn't match their language, even though they might know more science than you, you should be able to, even if you can't follow the science, 
if you start to learn, you can follow the, the verbiage and the stance and the philosophy that they're using. So there's a, a lot of people. So I was able to tell like who I don't, man, I can't tell whether it's, you know, this, re, this expert or this expert, because to me, they're both experts. Like they're arguing about keto or, or, or carbs or not. But some of these arguments, even though they've used big words and they've talked about, you know, particle size of, of, of cholesterol, I don't know what that is. I'm going to go look that up. But, um, Man, their arguments though are are steeped in, in in kind of dogma. They're attacking the other person. You know, they're they're not using they're using logical fallacies. They're speaking in black and white, and they're applying a one size fits all. Like everyone should be on this diet, and here's the science for it. Like that doesn't mix. You know, so I think it is. I, I personally, I was able to learn how to spot people who were dogmatic and trying to uh, you know covering up. Like, because really, like, if if you have a logical argument and the science is on your side, you shouldn't have to do all those things, right? So as soon as someone starts misrepresenting someone else, strawmanning them, attacking them personally, going on smear campaigns and trying to shut them up or just make make them look like the smartest person in the room and them look stupid, to me that says one of two things: either they're they're highly ego driven, or they they're actually wrong or don't know that much, or they they can't they don't have a logical answer to these things, so they're trying to cover that up with with uh with with attacks and either one of those things indicates to me that that's person that's a person who's going to make some errors in their 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 conclusions and their assessments right mm, yeah i like that a lot yeah yeah so if you can identify that language like does someone speak in absolutes this is always very um extremely Never, someone yeah. you know straw man versus steel man's like there's i actually wrote a, wrote a blog post about like watch out for these things it doesn't matter what what the science says. If someone does these things consistently, that's probably not someone you want to um, put your faith in or your trust in because they're going to make more errors and they may be trying to just simply influence you to, you know, either seeing that they're awesome or buy something or what have you. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's going to help a lot of people. And I think a good follow-up to that would be, what do you think is the best tool or resource or practice to develop those those skills of critical thinking. So a big thing for me was just reading more books, honestly, from from different types of people and um, uh, and and following uh, different different types of people in the field as well that may have conflicting uh, um, uh, evidence towards each other or or they they they. Uh, argue about certain things consistently and you're trying to figure out who's who, um, you just follow that along. But yeah, what resource or what tool or practice would you suggest for people who are trying to get better at that bullshit detector for lack of better term, right? Yeah, that's. I, I think I think that, that I learned it the same way as you did. I, I looked for um, you know, various takes on the same topic from different people yes. and to figure and, and basically like looking at the gap looking at the you don't you don't know you don't have the answer like you're 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 not equipped to assess but if you can assess the arguments um coming from an unbiased place obviously if you go that's the thing though like smart people can be very dumb when they're biased <laughs> yeah. um, because when you are when you have surety only a very small amount of evidence just confirms what you already believe you don't need to go down the rabbit hole you're much more likely to make second third and fourth order effect, uh, errors in your logic when it's like, well, I already know this to be true, and finally we got the evidence for it. Sweet, I can I can cite that. You know, it's like, well, what's the problem with that study? It doesn't really matter because we know it's true. You know, so I think going into something first, you have to honestly assess and, and look inward. Like, am I open to being to this to any any answer here? And if that's the case, 
then uh, looking to debates and disagreements between um, different experts and seeing what their arguments for are, are either way is, is really, really good. Um, so I think understanding some of the tenets of evidence-based practice is really helpful. Understanding some of the tenets. So for example, like if you were to actually read about evidence-based medicine, which is where that whole thing came from, understanding the three pillars of it. So getting towards, oh, okay, it's personal preference because we're actually treating people. Uh, maybe individual differences could be lumped into that. Then it's the actual scientific research and then it's the clinician's experience. Like those are the three pillars, equal pillars of evidence-based medicine and, you know, by, by proxy, uh, evidence-based, you know, fitness. So if you understand those and then you go, okay, sweet. And a lot of, you know, trainers get, you know, preference and individual differences, whether they're good at it or not, they at least understand the concept. Uh, and then they understand experience. Like that's basically just your own pattern recognition and observation, your anecdotes, right? Um, and then, then it's just simply, okay, well, how do I learn to interpret research? Um, and I think understanding the, the fundamentals of research is really important. Like if you look up evidence hierarchies, like there are, there are classes out there. Like you can find online free courses on interpreting research. I, I even, I, I have one. Um, but there's, there's plenty. You don't have to go to, go to my class and you can learn like, okay, well, so what is the difference between a meta-analysis? What's the difference between a systematic review? What's the difference between a randomized controlled trial versus just an observational trial, uh, versus an anecdote and you know, how valuable can an anecdote be? What can this tell us and which should I place in front of what, you know, um, what is the, what is a P value even? Like, what does it mean when someone says this is a significant result P less than 0.05? If you don't understand what that is, then it just is, it, it is black or white rather than understanding like, okay, well, if they had a, an adequate sample, that means there's less than a 5% chance of this happening due to random variation. But most people don't understand that, you know? Um, and I think if you understand that and you understand the probabilistic nature of research, um, you don't need to understand how to calculate a p-value. You don't need to understand how to do a meta-analysis. Um, but I think just understanding the the under the the, fu the fundamental principles underlying the science you're trying to use is a very important skill set. I think more than anything else, like if you're just a trainer who wants to incorporate research, just understanding you know what goes into you know scientific thought is really important, and I, that's where I would go first. Um, yeah, no, I yeah, and I, re I I really like that. Yeah, mine was my my moment was whenever this was this was years ago, but it was actually um so I used to do car backloading with with John Kiefer and he was like yeah. he was my guru, whatever. He was my main guy and he's, you know, self-proclaimed evidence-based like put tons of of citing or um of sources citations. In, in yes, citations in his in his book and everything. And I was like, "Oh, this is legit." And I was I was just coming into college and I was like, "This is amazing. I'm I'm on the cutting edge of of science research, right?" And then I have also Lane Norton, who's also somebody I've I've really looked up to for a long time. And Lane was was calling him out, and I was like, "Oh no." What do I do now? I was like, this, this, my, this God and this God are both going head to head right mm -hmm. now. And he's talking shit about him. I was like, who's right? And so that made me kind of dive and dive down into the rabbit hole and kind of see, I was like, okay, something, somebody has to be wrong here, or at least they, they, they're, the truth is, is somewhere in, in the gray area in between. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and those, those, that's a great example because, you know, um, I'm just, I'll just give my opinion on this. You know, John Kiefer, I think, is one of the more insidious examples of someone who puts the references there, makes them at least tangentially relevant, and then over concludes and sells something. 
Um, and do, it almost seems to me, in my opinion, is, is almost purposely masquerading as evidence-based. Mm. Um, and I think that's actually quite rare. Most of the time, it's just people who are, you know, biased or incorrect or don't know how to interpret research, you know? Sure. There's a something called Hanlon's Razor, mm. which is, uh, you know, don't attribute malice to something when ignorance can explain it. I like, yeah. You know, because most of the time people are just wrong. You know, right. rather than 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 like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, 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 you know? yeah. Um, but I, but don't get me wrong as well. Like this, there, there. This is a the fitness industry, which means that if someone can sell you something and it's novel and new and and seems different, um, and if they know they can use science to sell it, I mean that's basically the supplement industry. So it, of course it does happen. You know, um, that that that. that you could look at that as malice, if you will. I think the people who do it don't see it as malice. Like, it's like, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever. Um, keeps people interested. It's entertainment. Get, you know, the, at least they're, they're training hard, et cetera. Like, I, I know how people rationalize it. I've talked to them. <laughs> yeah. But um, but that's a really good example of someone who is has citations. The title might be related to what they're saying, but the actual data doesn't support the, the claim. Um, and then the the level of extrapolation is is far past what it says. And then you know elevating something like an observational study on rats to the same amount as you would uh, you know the third meta analysis on a topic that tells us yeah we could definitely do this and we're pretty confident about it. Sure. You know? Yeah. But that's that's very hard to to assess unless unless you know it. So I think that's a that's a great example of seeing um, you know when when those two people uh, are at odds. Yeah. And at the very least, I think from some of those arguments, what you'll get, even if both people are actually, I like, I think that example you gave me one person was a bad actor. That's my, my impression. Mm. Um, but I can think of many times where two people disagree and neither is a bad actor. They're both trying to get to the truth, but they have different interpretations of the data uh, or differently well read have, have, uh, or there's a, a, an insufficient level of scientific data, but they have conflicting anecdotes. And that can be really, really useful because you won't necessarily come away with knowing what the answer is uh, because it may not exist, but you will be able to assess like, oh, I can see where this person's biased or I can like, like, for example, if, if one person's like, hey, the, you know, this meta-analysis suggests that, you know, you know, high frequency training is, isn't going to be a problem. The other person goes, well, I've got this anecdote where it is. And it's like, okay, they, 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 they might have a bias here because they're trying to put an anecdote above a meta-analysis, you know? No, of course. And that, that, that takes for anybody that may hear all that and be like, oh, that's so much to learn or whatever. It's just like, it is, it is an ongoing practice. I mean, for, for you and I know for, or, and for me as well, it's just like, it is an ongoing practice of disseminating, okay, what, what do we need to know? What do we already know? What can we disprove? You know, it's a, it's a practice over time and it's, uh, yeah, that's just, that's part of the game. That's how you get closer to the truth, I guess. Um, that's well said. but, uh, but thank you. Thank you. Um, Okay, two two more short short questions here that I, I typically like to ask um, towards the end of the podcast. We've flew through that; it's already forty seven minutes in. Um, I don't shut up very well, so. <laughs> right? Um, but uh, uh, what what is exciting you right now? Like, what is, this could be? This could be about um, fitness, science. This could be in your personal life. You're willing to share, like, just what mm. on a day to day basis right now? What's exciting you um, about right now, or the future, um, or whatever you deem. Very, very personally right now, I'm, I'm really enjoying being in, being a strength athlete and, and doing new things. So um, I did my first powerlifting meet in like an unsanctioned push-pull in 06 and then my first bodybuilding season in 07. And since then, I've competed in a three weightlifting meets, 
I think, 17 powerlifting meets, if I counted correctly. Sheesh. I've done a couple of strongman shows, and then I've done 13 bodybuilding competitions. How old so, are you? Like, How old are you, Eric, if I may ask? Oh, like, you know, 29 forever. No, <laughs> no, I, I'm... Uh, that's what I thought. I'm turning 37 in April. Okay, So, cool. I'm, I'm 36. Good deal. Um, so, I've been... Uh, I just did my first bodybuilding season. Not my first. I did my fourth bodybuilding season, but it had been since 2011 since I competed. So, it was like eight years away while I was doing my my research degrees and and getting settled here in New Zealand where I live now. But um, I've now really been enjoying getting back to being an athlete. So, I really enjoyed the... The time post PhD where I had like a proper year and a half of bodybuilding off season and a really well planned out and very successful 2019 contest season as a bodybuilder. And now I kind of want to like, I don't do bodybuilding all the time because, you know, I like to not have an eating disorder. So <laughs> I'm now going to try to do the same thing with, with strength sport. And I really love almost all forms of lifting. So uh, playing with strongman. Uh, actually get to the point where I'm, where I, where I, I want to feel comfortable calling myself a weightlifter, not someone who like has poor jerk timing and power snatches and competition and totals like, you know, barely like a D grade lifter. Sure. So I want to be, get, get the proficiency expertise and, and skill to feel confident calling myself a weightlifter. Even if I'm not a good weightlifter, just be like, I am a weightlifter, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, the, the goal for 2020 is to do a weightlifting meet properly um, to do a full strongman medley, the two comps I did previously were just like two events. Um, right. There's so many ways to compete in strongman, but to, to yeah. do like a full like multi-event, full day meet, you know, um, and then also get back on the powerlifting platform uh, and hopefully improve my totals in weightlifting and powerlifting. And then goal above all three of those is don't get hurt. So it's exciting just to be doing new stuff and competing. But what's really exciting to me is the programming challenge of trying to uh, improve and peak sufficiently and not get hurt and balance fatigue, stimulus, specificity in general training and not backslide in any one sport while I peak for another for three different comps in the same year, or three different sports in the same year, even though they're very closely related. So I think that's a lot of fun and that's really exciting to me. And it's a, um, that's, this is a good example where if I'd spent all my time learning, you know, bio, biomechanics and biochemistry, I don't think I'd be as good I, I wouldn't know how to actually handle this this quagmire, if you will, of, you know, how do you train for, for three strength sports simultaneously and actually improve in them all. Right. Um, so, that's been going well so far. So That's amazing, man. I'm excited for you. That sounds, yeah, I can see you really enjoying the, the case study of yourself during that entire process. Um, well, cool. That's great. Um, and the last one would be, so I also know, I think, did you used to rap back in the day a little bit? Did yeah, so like my last major obsession was uh, hip hop. So I got into, um, I was very fortunate to join a little a little crew of people who had a little more time in the uh, uh, the culture back in high school. I uh, got into breakdancing. So I learned to pop lock. Damn it, we should have started with this. I'm I'm pissed. We should have started out with it. Because I, I thought I thought I remember you talking about that on another thing. I was like, that sounds super interesting, honestly. Yeah. So I that, that's why like if you ever watch any of my posing routines, I normally incorporate a little bit of pop lock into it because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um it's a good artistic expression. That's one thing I really like about bodybuilding. It's unique in that way. But yeah, so I was a break dancer from like my junior year of high school until maybe Really, just after I got out of high school and I was in the Air Force, I did it wasn't like part of a crew anymore, you know, because I didn't gotcha. have that outlet gotcha. anymore. But I still like did it for fun or whatever. Right. Um, 
and then uh, that kind of morphed into like really paying attention to the what we were dancing to and being interested in the the lyrical skill behind uh, rapping and writing. And I was um, well, I, I was a writer in like like poetry and creative writing, and I thought that's where I would go. And then so blog posts were were kind of a natural outlet. And then I became much more a scientific writer through my academia. But anyway, um, I got into emceeing and and writing and did a little bit of underground hip hop and we God, had like uh it's incredible sold some albums did some shows but um yeah that was basically hip hop was my life from i would say like 2000 to 2004 or 5 like basically one obsession got replaced with the other so, gotcha did you have a rap name was it like little eric or something equal which is where my oh, uh, my forum name quelly came from so, okay that's yeah. that's incredible the reason the reason why i asked that is because I like to ask people at the end, if you could choose any skill set possible and, and a lot of people, especially people in uh, what you do, because I feel like you're doing what you want to do in life. I feel like you're you're doing what you want to do on a day to day basis. But if you could choose any skill set and be anything in the world that you could think of. So my my example if with I would be like a stand up comic and I would I would go on Joe Rogan's podcast. We'd be bros. I'd be hanging out with all the comedians uh, and I would just perform in front of thousands of people on a regular basis. I think that that would be incredible. Mm -hmm. However, that's not how my skill set necessarily took me. So what would your alternative life job career be? You know, I, I'm very, very fortunate that I don't have a good answer to that question because I think it tells me that I'm doing what I want to be doing. Got it. Um, if anything, the the push and pull for me is that I don't have, is that the the amount of time and effort I want to dedicate to my personal sport, you know, my as a strength athlete, as a physical culturist, myself as a bodybuilder, and then as a science communicator, coach, whatever I am, uh, influencer. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's your main title right now. In influenza, as my colleague Omar would say. That's amazing. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm the flu that destroys. Um, <laughs> like I have trouble balancing those two things, you know. Um, so it's 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 funny that how I think that that that's indicative that tells me like how much I really love uh, lifting. Of course, because lifting gets in the way of lifting. You know, the science of lifting and the communication of lifting and the coaching of lifters and having a business in lifting, has, it, it's gotten to the point where I have to manage that so that I can, you know, really, really put my heart and soul into lifting. So, um, yeah, so as one dimensional as that sounds, I'm fine with it. It's who I am. I own it. So, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. It's funny. Uh, I had uh, Adam Ali on the podcast, Physique Economics. Um, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. I think you, you, you're aware of him. Yeah. He, yeah. he said that he would want to be a rapper. He said he would be like Drake. He said that was his, his alternative. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So I, and I think Ryan Doris said that he would be like a garbage man or like a, uh, um, a, um, uh, like a business coach. He's like, I just need freedom. He was like, I need to be able to do what yeah. I want to do. And, and, and that was it. Um, so I'm always interested in what people's answers are, but yeah. yeah it sounds it, like you caught Ryan on a stress today. Cause I, I've, I felt like that sometimes like, can I just go collect a paycheck and people will not pay attention to me for 16 hours after that? That'd be great. You know? That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly what it is. Um, but all right, man, Eric, thank you so much for, uh, um, for joining me. Uh, it was really, it was really a pleasure. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. Uh, where can, uh, where can people find, uh, find out more about you? Do all your plugs and all that influencer Absolutely. type stuff. Well, thank you so much for having me on and to affect in influence people <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah probably the one-stop shop for for all of my uh 
my content would be 3dmusclejourney.com. That's the number three, the letter D, then muscle journey. That's where you can find, um, you know, the coaching company I started back in 09 with Brad Loomis, Alberto Nunez, Jeff Alberts, and eventually Andrew Valdez, where we try to provide, um, you know, support to the the drug-free, primarily bodybuilding, but lifting community in general. Um, from there, you can find links to my books with Andrew Valdez and Andy Morgan on how to train and how to, how to, how to eat. Um, you can find my research review mass with, uh, Dr. Trexler, Dr. Zardos and Greg Knuckles and myself. Um, there's links to that as well. Um, and then you can of course find our coaching and our, our free blog and the three DMJ podcast. Um, in addition to that, you can also check out uh, iron culture, which is myself and Omar, where we talk about, uh, the history, science, and culture of, of lifting kind of broadly. Um, it's going really well. We've just hit our 52nd episode today. So it's been I, a, a year. Dude, you know what? I think you are the 52nd guest on this podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Hey, one year in. <laughs> that's, a great, that's great. Yeah. Um, anything else? Oh, and then finally, I think what you probably shouted out pretty adequately was my Instagram at Helms3DMJ. There it is. So. There it is. Awesome. Yeah. I, as you guys can just heard, he does a shit ton of things. So you should definitely check them out. He does amazing work. Um, and yeah, thank you again, dude. I really appreciate it. And we'll have to, uh, we'll have to do this again soon. My true pleasure. Thanks for having me on, man. And that is that, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the More Than Fitness Podcast. And please, if you could help me out a little bit here and leave a rate and review in iTunes and also take a screenshot and post it up on your IG story. Tag me at mattmcleod 6 I'd love to share it. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast and also so that we can share the word with other people. I would love to build up this community, build up this tribe of people that we have like you and I uh, and get the word out there. Uh, also, if you want more free content, you can check the links in the description. I have my free four-week workout plan, The Ultimate Physique Development. And also, if you want to work with me online, one-on-one -on -one for personal coaching, you can check the link in the description as well. Uh, and anything else you need, please send me an email, send me a DM. I would love to hear from you. Again, thank you so much for listening.